and I am very glad to be here. Let me, let me get something out of the way real quick. You guys had some dude Jake here last week that was talking, <laughs> and he apparently thought it'd be funny to tell everybody to tell me that he's a better speaker no matter what happens. So, yeah, Jake's a good friend, and he is actually a better speaker no matter what happens, so like, it's fine. But I have been catching those blows since I walked in the parking lot, just so everybody knows. Oh, I am so grateful for being here. Ron, thank you so much for asking me. Uh, I've been listening to these talks on your YouTube channel for, uh, for a long time, and uh, yeah, just excited to be here. This is awesome. It's a, I, feel, I feel the energy, I feel the enthusiasm of the group, and uh, I really feed off that. You know, I, I feed off that either way. You know, sometimes I go to, you know, meetings, and, and man, everyone's like half asleep and dragging. They don't want to, seems like they don't want to be there, and I feed off that energy. Then, you know, I, 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 let, I lose my enthusiasm, but... Uh, so I love a group that's, that's engaged and into it, and because uh, that's my nature. I mean, I am enthusiastic about Alcoholics Anonymous. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the. I love our program. I love our book. I love our meetings. I love. Uh, I love alcoholics. I love drunk alcoholics, sober alcoholics. I spend my life with alcoholics. And uh, yeah, I'm all in, I'm all in. I'm married to an alcoholic, a beautiful alcoholic, yeah. <laughs> Sober. <laughs> she will tell you, longer than me, yes. What, two and a half, three years longer? I don't know, she knows the months, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> my sobriety date is November 13th, 2006, and my home group, as Brian said, is PPG Webster. We meet on Sunday mornings, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. We're on Zoom. Come talk to me after if you want those Zoom numbers. Um, we are a line-by-line -line book study. I absolutely love it. Uh, I admit to everybody, it is on the nerdy side. I mean, we really, really break down the book. And it's not for everybody. Um, but by doing that, by studying the book in this, you know, dissecting it in this way, what's happened is I've been able to learn and, more importantly, practice what our program tells us, the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know... Through doing that, I can more effectively carry its message to the suffering alcoholic. Um, you know, I, uh, for years, I, I, uh, I didn't really talk much about my drinking. You know, I really would come up here and say a couple things just to qualify real quick, and then I would talk about recovery because I'm passionate about recovery. I want to talk about recovery, you know. The last few years, I've been moved to, um, to talk more about alcoholism. It seems like... An observation that I have is in our fellowship, one place we lack is really explaining and discussing the disease, the illness of alcoholism. And I think it's very, very important that we understand the problem. You know, thank God for Silkworth. You know, Silkworth, you know, thank God he explained to Bill Wilson what was wrong with him. You know, um, without, without really understanding the problem, you know, it's cool we got a plan of action and it's cool we have a spiritual solution, but without really understanding the problem, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like in any scenario, if I'm, uh, if I'm, if I'm sick, if, I'm, if I have an illness, I go to the doctor, right? The doctor's going to push and prod and ask me some questions and, um, you know, uh, whatever else, the, the doctor's going to diagnose what's wrong with me. I don't feel better yet, but now I understand the problem. I understand what's wrong with me. Now he's going to give me a plan of action. He's going to give me, uh, send me to the pharmacy. He's going to tell me to go home and get some rest and uh, drink lots of water, whatever it is. So now I understand the problem and I have a plan of action. I still don't feel better yet, but at least we're on our way. 
I go to the pharmacy, I get the prescription filled, I go home, I start following, I start taking the medicine, getting some sleep, drinking the water, whatever it is. Now I'm starting to feel better. We have all three components. And so, you know, so forgive me, I guess, if I talk, I will speak in a general way about my drinking, but I do think it's important. And the more, the longer I'm around, the more fascinated I really am with the mental aspect of alcoholism. I mean, to me, it, it, it really is fascinating. You know, the physical component, <clears throat> You know, I think that's a lot easier to get because we can quickly look at our experience and see, you know, I know for me, once I start drinking, once I put alcohol into my body, I cannot control the amount I, I, I'm going to drink. Um, and that started right from the very beginning, just about, you know, um, I won't go back to uh, childbirth here, but I will say briefly that, you know, before um, somewhere, I don't know, I remember probably the whole, my whole life, but I remember really in middle school and early high school, I, I just had this feeling, I've heard it explained many different ways in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the way I say it is I always felt like I was like a half step behind everybody else. It seemed to me all these other kids like knew what they were doing. It seemed like they had an idea with what they were doing in life. And I didn't, you know, I was, so what I would basically do was I would just watch everybody and I would just copy what everybody else was doing. And I got really good at that. Um, and, 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 and that stayed like that. Then the first night I drank, man, we, um, we all pulled in money and we, we, we took a car uh, up to the hood and we bought 40s of old English, 800, this is the 90s. And, you know, we come back to the woods. I'm in the suburbs here. We come back to the woods and we had a bonfire and we start, uh, and we start drinking, okay? Somewhere in the middle of that first 40 ounce, something profound happened to me absolutely profound. I didn't really, really realize it at the time. It just seemed like I was having a good time, you know, but in hindsight, looking back and considering that experience and learning what I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't use the word lightly, but it, it was magic. I mean, it really truly was magical. Um, you know, when I started drinking or what, you know, a little bit into drinking, I guess. And what it was, was it felt like I was having a good time, but what it really was for the first time in my entire life, I felt absolutely equal to and connected to other people. And man, I loved it. And I, I loved the camaraderie that came with that, the excitement, the, you know, yeah, I love you, man. You know, all that kind of stuff. Like I fed into that. Like I absolutely love that stuff. And, you know, it, drinking, you know, drinking was real fun for a minute. And then it was what I did for a while. And then it got pretty pathetic at the end. But I will say, if drinking stayed just like it was back in 1990, whatever, I mean, I'd be in those same woods with a 40 ounce listening to Wu-Tang right now, just like I was back then. You know what I mean? Like nothing would be changed at all. Um, but that wasn't the case. That wasn't my story. So, you know, also, you know, my, what happens to me when I do put alcohol in my body turns out is different from approximately 90% of the population. They say something like 10% of the population is alcoholic. So like statistically, if 10 of us were around that, that bonfire that night, we're all drinking the same fine malt liquor and, <laughs> and, and every, I'm assuming everyone is reacting the same way I'm reacting. But that's not the case. The magic that I'm feeling statistically has only happened to me and not the other nine guys standing around there. Um, but I didn't know anything about an allergy to alcohol or a phenomenon of craving. You know, we didn't talk like that. You know what I mean? Like I was just having fun. I didn't want the party to stop. It was just a good time pretty much. 
And, uh, you know, I can never figure out with these kids, like, you know, it'd be like midnight or something and they'd be like, I got to go home. I got practice in the morning. I got basketball. I got to work in the morning. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we are rocking and rolling. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, that's what alcohol does for me. I mean, it, it gets me, it, it, it awakens my spirit, truly. It awakens my spirit and it, and it gets me, gets me fired up. Um, you know, and that's not the case with everybody. I, I, I was, in a, I was in a band in the 90s, and uh, the drummer, my friend, my friend Corey, um, I used to, we used to, uh, so we'd get beers for band practice, right? And uh, my friend Corey played drums, and I used to watch him drink, right? And he would have, he would drink a beer, very normally drink a beer, you know, maybe even sometimes a second one. But he would, every time, at some point, if he did get that second one, he would push it away. He would set it down and forget about it. And I would watch him, and I'd be like, you know, I could like see this change come over him, you know, somewhere in that second drink where like, you know, it was like a, a physical change would come over him and he didn't like that feeling. You know, that's, that's how his body was reacting to alcohol. He would push that away and he would start to have this out of control feeling, he would tell me, you know, and, uh, you know, alcohol is a social lubricant and it was comfortable for him and he would shoot for that target and he would hit his target and he was good. He would call it off. His, his body told him, his mind told him, you're good, man. You did it. You know, you had your drink and a half and uh, we were very comfortable, you know, and me, you know, somewhere around that same point, somewhere in that second drink or third drink, something totally opposite happens to me. It's fascinating. Really. Something totally opposite happens to me. It's like, my wiring is just total, let's go. It's on. Let's, what are we doing? You know, let's, let, we're rocking and rolling, you know? And uh, uh, that's that, that physical kind of aspect to alcohol. And, you know, a lot of, that's, from that craving for more alcohol, you know, when I start drinking, now when I get to the third drink, I want the fourth one even more. And I want the fifth one even more than I wanted the fourth. And I need the sixth one more than the fifth. And so on and so on. And I pass through the well-known stages of a spree. And a lot of consequences come from that physical kind of component to, you know, when I'm drinking alcohol. That's where the consequences come from. And I wanted those consequences. I got consequences pretty early. Uh, minor ones at first. And it started getting worse and worse, you know. And, you know... I had only been drinking a couple years and I was like, I got to rein it in. I got to rein it in a little bit. I'm, I'm a little out of control. I need to rein it in, you know? So I would tell myself, um, you know, I would go out and I would call my numbers. Okay. I would like call my, I would say tonight, you're only, I would never say one, like that's stupid, but I would like, you know, there was times when I'd like, be like, you know, no more than four drinks tonight. And in the beginning, in those early years, I was able to successfully do that. I could go out, have three or four drinks, and go home. The catch is this. While I was able to successfully do that, I was, I was not happy. I, it was not enjoyable. I wasn't enjoying my drinking. You know, it was just like this kind of, you know, white-knuckled drinking, I guess, is what it was, really, you know? Um, so then that would kind of get old after a while, and I would say, you know what? We got, let's have fun. You know, let's, let's do it. Just drink how you want, you know? And then there's no control at all. And I'm really enjoying myself. I'm off and running, you know? And, uh, you know, more about alcoholism starts off saying, you know, it's the great obsession of every abnormal drinker that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking at the same time. And I have never, ever 
ever had that experience. I just never had that experience. Um, Silkworth uses the term um, elusive, uh, while the sensation is so elusive. Uh, I, that's the one word that describes my drinking, elusive. It always seemed like, when I started drinking, it always seemed like I was almost exactly right there. You know, it always seemed like the next drink was going to get me exactly where I wanted to be. It always seemed like the next drink, and I could just never truly get there, you know? I, I, I say this, and I might be lying, I don't know, but I never remember a time, I'm going to say there was never a time, but I never really remember a time when I was out drinking, in the middle of a night of fun, partying, rocking and rolling, somebody comes up to me and says, Ryan, here's another beer. I never, ever remember a time saying, no. Perf I'm good right here. This is exactly it right here. Like I never, I was never able to hit that mark. I just never happened. Um, it always seemed like it was going to be the next one that got me where I wanted to go. So I think, you know, that physical part, we, we can identify with that pretty good. But what I really find fascinating is the kind of mental aspect of alcoholism. It's like, you know, turns out I was way sicker than I thought I was. <clears throat> I thought that um, what I really wanted to be, you know, on, on, on the bottom of page 20 there, it talks about uh, three different types of drinkers, the moderate drinker, the hard drinker, and the real alcoholic. And I really thought I was and really wanted to be the hard drinker. The hard drinker looks just like the alcoholic, drinks the same as the alcoholic, but you know, stern warning of a doctor, change of environment, falling in love, warning, all that kind of stuff, the, the hard drinker can rein it in, stop, moderate, and, and call it up, you know? And so I would, that, that kind of stuff would happen to me. I would get in trouble, I would have consequences, and I would, I would quit. I would say, that's it, you're done drinking. And I would be, you know, till I wasn't. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I was the best at quitting forever. I was always doing it, quitting forever. I was, Forever was somewhere in between like four hours and three weeks, but I was constantly, <laughs> constantly quitting. I was Mr. Quit Forever guy. You know, I went through that, those firm resolutions. Man, I went through that. And, and to me, this is the most, you know, what I like to talk about is, is what would happen in, the, in that four hours to three weeks? What would happen, you know? I can see alcohol is ruining my life. I can see these consequences are real. The people in my life, relationships, my parents, family, all that stuff, everyone would tell me, you got to stop drinking, man. You got to stop drinking. It's, it's ruining you, you know? Um, you, you know, you'll feel better if you stop drinking. They would tell me this kind of stuff. And, you know, I would, I, it seemed to make sense. Every time I got in trouble, I had been drinking. So, you know, it seemed to make sense, but um, I would stop drinking and I did feel better but not in the way that I thought I was going to feel better. You know, I felt anger better. I felt um, uncomfortable better. I felt sobriety better. I felt, oh, it was just an absolute nails on a chalkboard feeling. And, you know, that's the real, the real crux of it is I didn't really have, I mean, in some ways, I guess I had a drinking problem, but it wasn't really a drinking problem. My problem really was sobriety. That was the, the truth of it is I did not know how to live sober and be not even happy. Forget happy. I couldn't even be like comfortable, you know, and it was so miserable for me. You know, they, they say restless, irritable and discontented. Um, that's perfect. That's exactly right. You know, um, another way to say that to modernize it a little bit might be like anxiety, anger and depression. Okay. 
And, you know, that's what I would feel when I would stop drinking. Anxious, depressed, angry, however you want to say it, I was miserable. So my mind would tell me all kinds of things. Um, well, it would look a couple different ways. There was the one way, this didn't happen too often, but sometimes it would just be like, you know what, if, if this is what sobriety is like, if it's going to be like this, the heck with it. Might as well drink, you know, life's too short. Why live like this? So I would do that a few times, but more often than not, it was some kind of wacky combination that I would try to tell myself would be my successful way to control and enjoy my drinking, you know, and, you know, countless, countless vain attempts to do that. Um, oftentimes for me, it was, I would say it's the liquor, no more liquor, you know, it's the liquor. It's, it, that's what always gets you in trouble. Every time you drink liquor, stick with the beer. You know, so I would try to drink beer and I would make a mess of my life drinking beer, you know, and uh, oh, wine. I went through a big wine phase that did not go well at all. I'll tell you. Um, so anyways, I would always try to do these combinations and, you know, I would I would add in outside issues and, and, and medications and therapy and outpatients and, and all this kind of stuff, you know, and I just couldn't I just couldn't figure it out. So then, you know, eventually I found myself going to AA meetings. I'm kind of skipping way ahead here, but, you know, I found myself going to AA meetings. And, you know, when I first came to AA meetings, well, I had a few different reactions. Um, my first reaction was, when you stop drinking and when I stop drinking, we don't feel the same. Because I'm coming into the meetings, now, you know, I got a hood up, I got headphones on, I'm staring at my feet, I'm sitting in as far back as I can, I'm staring at my feet. I was just full of fear, basically, you know, and uh, we didn't have phones then, but if we did, I would have been playing on it, I'm sure, you know, um, and I just felt different from you guys, but when the meeting would start and you guys would start sharing about what happened to you, what, what happened, how you felt, what you went through with drinking and with not drinking, when you guys started talking about that stuff, I felt really bonded. I felt, I felt, yeah, I felt connected and I was drawn to that. But there was some, uh, I, got, I got pretty confused going to AA meetings. And I was going to a lot of AA meetings. And I would get 24 hours and I'd drink. I'd get 30 days and I'd drink. Um, we used to joke, I had like a shoebox of these, of these chips, you know what I'm saying? 24-hour chips and 30-day chips and a couple 60-day chips. Um, and, and, and going to lots of meetings and hearing lots of things. I had this idea about AA where, um, this is what I thought AA was. I don't know where I got this idea. This is what I thought AA was. I thought I would go to a meeting, I would hear something so inspirational, I wouldn't drink that day, and then I would go to a meeting the next day, and the same thing would happen, and I guess I just thought I would live the rest of my life doing that. Like, that was what I thought AA was. And I read, you know, I'm in the meetings, you know, they're reading how it works, they're reading the 12 steps, like, I, I just could not logically compute how those, those 12 steps had anything to do with me staying stopped from drinking alcohol. I didn't, really didn't understand. It seemed like some good stuff. Like, it seemed cool. It was like, I would sit there and I'd be like, yeah, maybe someday I'll do that. You know, maybe I'll take guitar lessons. Someday. You know what I mean? It was like, maybe I'll go to a gym. You know, like, it was like one of those things. Like, someday if I feel a little better, like, maybe I'll start, maybe I'll worry about that stuff. I just had it absolutely backwards and I couldn't be told otherwise. Like, I, I'm sure, I'm sure there was lots of people in the AA meetings telling me, you should get a sponsor. You should work our 12-step program. You've decided to join a 12-step fellowship. You should work a 12-step program. I'm, I'm sure there was people saying that. I just wasn't hearing it. You know, I just absolutely wasn't hearing it. 
And um, you know, I'll tell you my first step experience. I was just reading this the other night, man. Page 152. Page 152. He says, uh, all right, let, me, let me build it. Let me, let me tell the story a little bit. <laughs> and I'm not really a good storyteller, but this one I'll tell. Um, so, like, I've been going to all these meetings, and I kept relapsing or whatever. But at this point, I had, I don't know, 30 days or 45 days or something like that. And, um, you know, people started knowing me at the meetings, you know, I'm in Rochester, New York, it's a small town, you know, we're a small city, you know, and we're people, everyone knew me, you know, and uh, this one particular meeting I was at, uh, it was a gratitude meeting. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was a gratitude meeting. And like, everyone was going around saying all the things they're grateful for. And I knew it was a smaller meeting, I knew it was going to come to me. So I'm like sitting there in the meeting trying to come up with some stuff like, all right, you know, like, I got to think of something to say that I'm grateful for. And I've got this big smile on, you know what I'm saying? I'm putting on this show that I'm okay. And I'm not, man. I'm, I'm hurting bad. Um, but I, I, I didn't know how to tell you that. I didn't know what to do about that. I thought I was treating my alcoholism by coming to AA meetings. That's what I thought I was, I thought I was doing the deal, you know? And, um, you know, it got to my turn and I said something like, oh, I'm so grateful. I have a roof over my head and clothes on my back or yeah, I don't, whatever. I, whatever I said, it doesn't matter. But I, um, I remember coming back to the halfway house I was in, and uh, my roommate had moved out. I had the room to myself, and I laid down in the bed, and I locked the door, and I just broke down, man. I, re I really, really started crying. I mean, I really just absolutely, I wanted to die. I mean, I, I wanted to die. 30, 40, 45 days sober, whatever I was, I just could not go on like this. You know, it was like, I knew I couldn't drink. I knew I couldn't drink. My life had become an absolute dumpster fire. Like, I just knew I couldn't drink. So there was no question about that. What I was starting to feel, though, in my heart, in my soul, was I also can not be sober, you know? And I really, really felt trapped. On 152 here, it says, We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. That was me at that meeting that day. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. And I'll tell you guys, man, it is a, it is a, it is a horrible place to be. That is true. You know, true hopelessness, um, absolute true hopelessness, um, how bright it is before the dawn, I guess. But, um, you know, from that, from that place, I was able to, um, to ask a guy to sponsor me. And, uh, you know, seeing the kind of stuff that I see in our fellowship, I am so grateful this dude was a big book sponsor. I mean, like, looking back, like, man, this could have gone sideways real quick. You know what I'm saying? But this guy I asked happened to be a big book sponsor. I didn't know that. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that at all, you know. Actually, how long are you? The reason I asked, the reason I asked the guy to sponsor me is for two reasons. He had shared in the meeting his first 11 months sober, the neighborhood he lived at was real hood. And I was like, wow, if he could stay sober there, that's pretty good. And he also mentioned in the meeting that he had a passion for taking guys through the 12 steps, sponsoring guys. So I had a feeling if I asked this guy, he wasn't going to say no. That was really all that was to ask this guy. But he turns out he was a big book sponsor. And what he said to me was cool. He goes, listen, I got five other new guys right now, and, and that's a lot, but I don't want to turn you away. 
He says, what we're going to do, we'll come over to my kitchen table on Wednesday nights and we'll do a book study. We'll kind of go through the book together and then we'll just do our fifth step, the fifth steps individually. I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm just like, okay, fine, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever you want, man. Um, so I showed up that next Wednesday. He came and picked me up at the halfway house, actually. He had a car. I was uh, drawn to that. He had a girlfriend, an apartment, and a car. Um, he came and picked me up at the halfway house, brought me back, and it was just me and another guy. And the week after that, the other guy was gone, too. And we got busy, and we got into the work. And, you know, when we, another, thing about, another thing about the fellowship and, and meetings and stuff, I was real intimidated with the God talk. Okay, I wasn't raised religious at all. Um, you know, I just my parents chose to not bring me up religious, so I didn't know anything about God. And I was intimidated when I would hear you guys talk about God is the power and thank God for my sobriety by the grace of God. I would hear all this God talk in, in some of the meetings. Some meetings didn't mention God at all, but some of the meetings were talking a lot about God. And I was intimidated by that. And I and I. Um, I thought that was going to really hand, you know, handicap me. I thought it was going to hold me back with recovery because I didn't know anything about God. But maybe you know, the way it worked out, it may have ended up being an asset for me because I didn't have all these preconceived judgments about God or about organized religion or anything like that. Um, I was just in pain. I was just hurting, you know, and I was just willing to do something different. And you know, my sponsor made that real, real clear and real easy for me um, for the second step. He just basically asked me that question. He just said, you know, Ryan, do you now believe or are you even willing to believe there's a power greater than yourself? And I was able to pretty easily say yes to that. You know, I was, it was like, you know, I, I couldn't keep living the way I was living. You know, that was the bottom line. I couldn't keep living the way I was living. So I was like, yes, sure. You know, and it seemed like this guy had something working in his life. Um, not only did he have a girl, a car, an apartment, he also genuinely seemed like comfortable in his own skin. This brother had like, I don't know, two years at the time, two and a half years at the time, which seemed amazing to me. You know what I mean? Like, and he seemed to be pretty jovial, pretty like comfortable and happy. And, uh, you know, I, I looked, for, I looked up for that and I wanted that. He had, he had what I wanted. Um, and, and, and when discussing the second step, you know, when we went through we agnostics, um, you know, it talks about lack of power. That was our dilemma. And he pointed out, which, um, which is interesting, it doesn't say lack of God. It doesn't say lack of God was our dilemma. It's lack of power. And, you know, I think we, we maybe misread that sometimes or we, we, we skim over that sometimes, but there's a lot of drunk, drunk alcoholics that have God in their life and, and a belief in God, but they're blocked off. You know, they're blocked off from that power that comes from God. And, and, and he broke that down for me, and, and it just seemed to make sense, and I, wanted, I needed some of that power. I could see that of myself, I was truly hopeless. I could see that. It was, it was evident, you know? So uh, I needed a power greater than myself, obviously. My power wasn't working, and I was willing to kind of accept that. And, you know, we got into the third step, and I don't remember how much time he spent hammering home uh, 60 to 63. I, um, when I take guys through, which I love to do, um, I spend a lot of time on 60 to 63. From the three pertinent ideas right to that third step prayer, um, to me, I think that's the, the heart and soul of our program. And, 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 you know, the third step, what's cool about the third step is it's like, uh, you know, a thousand miles deep, really, you know? On the surface, it's just like, you know, there's, hey, this first requirement is uh, you got to quit playing God. It's not working. 
And then this says we make a decision that God is now going to be the director. So um, I was able to do that. I'm like, okay, like I could see where my life was a wreck. And, uh, you know, he says, this God that you don't know anything about is going to now be your director. Okay, that sounds good. Me running the show did not work um, and continues to not work, by the way. Um, you know, by the time we get to the 11th step, it says uh, we remind ourselves constantly we are no longer running the show. I think it says that constantly because I'm still, to this day, 17 years sober, constantly trying to run the show. That is like my default is, uh, is, is trying to run the show, you know. Um, but we got into what, what, I think, what I think is so brilliant about our program. I think a lot of things are brilliant about our program. What I really think is awesome, though, is like, what is it that makes me so anxious, angry, depressed, restless, irritable, discontented? Why is it that I feel that stuff so much when I'm not drinking? Well, it seems like our founders have kind of pinned down three major areas that are blocking me blocking me off, you know, anger, fear, and, and, and relationship conduct, sex conduct. And, you know, they, they see these are the, the three things that are really blocking me off. So we get to go into the fourth step and inventory that stuff. And again, this stuff all, in my experience, uh, all hinges on the first step. You know, without a real first step experience, without really truly internalizing deep down that I really of myself, I can't do this, you know, and I'm really broken and I'm really hopeless. Um, without that admission, um, you know, I'm not going to be willing to do the rest of the program, what, what the program is going to ask of me. And we see it all the time. You know, every guy I sponsor pretty much, for the most part, you know, I'll hit him hard with all this, uh, you know, twofold illness, physical, mental, I'm, I'm hitting them hard with all that stuff. They'll yes me to death. Oh yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, that's me. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, do you concede to your innermost self that you're truly an alcoholic? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the first step in recovery. So, and we keep it moving, but I don't know the truth. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that that's between them and their higher power and what's going on with them. And, and I think just saying yes to that stuff and, and well, the truth comes out, right? The truth comes out in the action. And that's what it's all about. It's all about the action. And, and they tell us that a whole bunch of times over and over and over. Uh, you know, in the fifth step, uh, I think I had this idea um, that it was just like straight up confession. You know, it was just like the straight up confession. And, you know, there is like a confessional aspect to it, you know, for sure. But, uh, you know, my first sponsor and, and other sponsors I've had, you know, from that point have really been good at, not just listening to my, my inventories, but actually able to, you know, point out the weak spots, okay? It, actually able to show you, hey, I see you wrote down you made some mistakes in this area, but what about this? Weren't you fearful over here also? Some stuff like that. And as the sponsor on the other side of the table, it is my absolute, absolute favorite. It's probably my favorite thing in all of Alcoholics Anonymous is to listen to a fifth step. Um, I've had the honor and the privilege, and I don't say those words lightly, uh, to do it many times. And I absolutely love it because, you know, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our consequences, no matter what our backgrounds, old, young, poor, rich, black, white, gay, straight, all, all these people that I've sponsored, um, you know, all that stuff, when it all boils down, all these circumstances are different, right? But what it all boils down to, it's just at least the guy that, yeah, the experiences that I've had 
it all boils down to just a couple things, just a, just a handful of things that we all seem to have in common. This deep down feeling that we are the center of the universe, self-centered. This deep down feeling that um, you don't understand, my case is different. These little petty fears that I'm not good enough. These little petty fears that uh, I'm not going to get your approval, that kind of stuff. And every time I get to do that with somebody, it is just a beautiful experience for me because I feel, once again, absolutely connected to you. And it's just, um, it, it's, I love it. I, I talk forever on the fifth step. It's, it's my, my favorite experience, just about, you know. Um, you know, moving, moving forward through the steps, um, I had some, some cool experiences with the, uh, um, well, six and seven. I also say, my first sponsor, I know, I know. He tried his best to explain how important six and seven were. I know he did, okay? But my brain saw one paragraph for six and one paragraph for seven, and I thought, Wilson just took his foot off the wheel for these ones, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, in my mind, it was like, they weren't that big of a deal, you know? Um, and so I kind of, you know, I didn't understand the, the, the depth and weight that those, uh, those two steps really hold. And I, I, my second sponsor, that's almost all he talked about was steps in six and seven. So I was able to grow with that. And, you know, I, I had some cool experiences with, with the men's, um, uh, should I tell the, yeah, I'll tell one story. All right. So, um, I grew up with, uh, my friend Todd. Okay. Todd was my running buddy. I mean, my brother, you know what I'm saying? We were inseparable for years and years, for real, okay? We went across the country a bunch of times. We did all kinds of stuff together. And, um, you know, when I got really, really sick, I ended up um, stealing, stealing from Todd. I ended up robbing him, pretty much. And, um, you know, it depends on your perspective, how much, you know, it was a lot of money to me. It was like in between four and $5,000. So it depends on your perspective. Um, it was a lot of money thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, I eventually, I eventually moved to Florida to try to get clean. That went bad. And he, he eventually moved away and he moved to Arizona. Right. So time goes by, I come back here, I'm sober and, uh, you know, time's going on. You know, I have a couple years or I don't know what I had sober, but, um, Todd lived in Arizona. And I didn't think much of him. You know what I mean? I was just like, you know, that I never didn't give him much thought, but he gets married and has some kids and moves back to Rochester, New York. I, we have friends in common, so like I heard through the grapevine, he moved back to Rochester. All of a sudden, I find myself, not only did he move back to Rochester, he moved back to the same suburb that I lived in, that we were from, Rondequite. And I, I, you know, without really noticing it, I find myself years sober, a couple years sober anyways, I don't know, recent five years sober, I don't know, something like that. And I'm like in the supermarket looking over my shoulder, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not really scared of like him beating me up. Or I'm not really scared of, uh, I don't know. I wasn't really, I was just didn't want to have this conference. I didn't want to have an interaction with him. I didn't want to cross paths with him. And I would find myself, you know, I'm at Walgreens looking over my shoulder, like I'm, I'm avoiding this dude, you know? And my sponsor said, I think it's time. I think it's time you reach out. So what I had been doing, oh, I forgot to mention this. What I had been doing is every week I had been taking $25 out of my paycheck and putting it in a separate account. And, you know, that got up to $100, that got up to $500 or something. I think when it was at $500, um, I got a hold of his email and I emailed him, um, hey, you know, I'd like to get together and have a talk or something like that. I don't know. And no response. 
So I kept doing it, $25 in the account, $25 in the account, and it got up to $1,000. And I sent another email, and it says, listen, man, you know, I'm living a new, different life now. I'd really like to make this right, you know, what happened with us, and I'd really like to clean, up this, clean this stuff up. You know, would you be willing to meet with me? And no response. So I go to my sponsor, and I say, listen, it says in the book, man, it's water under the bridge. You know what I'm saying? I made my attempt. I, read, I reached out. You know what I mean? Like, you know. He goes, well, why don't we see if we can try one more time? And he insisted that I email again, email him again, and add in the line to the email, I owe you. So that got a response. <laughs> um, uh, he, that wrote back. And he says, um, all right, I'll meet you. Let's meet for breakfast. We met for breakfast at this diner. Now, this was a big deal to me, okay? I go to the bank. I take the $1,000 out of the bank. I got an envelope. I take the day off work. I'm all freaking nervous, man. I'm like just a bundle of nerves. There's a beach by our house, Lake Ontario, Duran Beach. And I'm like down at the beach. I'm praying. I'm call, talking to my sponsor on the phone. I'm like, and I go and meet him. And uh, we sat across the table and we had breakfast. And it was pretty awkward. Um, pretty awkward. But I said my piece. I did what the book told me. You know, I, I, um, I, I made the amends, direct amends. And I said, listen, I said, I don't know the exact amount I owe you. I know it's a lot of money. I've been saving up. And I said, and I said, I gave him the envelope. And I said, here's some money. He said, thank you. Put it in his pocket. We exchanged phone numbers and like shook hands. It was pretty cold, pretty chilly, but we shook hands and went our separate ways. So I was like, oh, thank God it's over. You know, like, thank God I, it's over. I did it. Don't you know, this dude calls me. So this is, that was breakfast. This dude calls me at like three in the afternoon. And he says, listen, man, he goes, I, you know, you wouldn't have any way to know this. We're trying to buy a new house right now. We're trying to buy a better house. And we were about $1,000 short for the down payment. And he says, uh, you know, your money, it was just in time, man. It was just in time. And he, I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. Now, of course, I had no way to know that. And no, you know, no idea any of that was going to transpire, that was going to happen. But um, it was cool. Uh, then a few months after that, we had like this little reunion of our, of our old friends, of our old crew. Everybody was back in Rochester and we had this little like reunion and Todd was there and he pulled me outside and he hugged me and he said he loved me and everything was, everything was squashed. Everything was cool. And, um, you know, that's been years now. And, uh, you know, we're not like BFFs necessarily, like, you know what I mean? Like, but we, we text, we're in touch, we, we talk, you know what I mean? We're, we're cool. Um, he's got, you know, he's got kids and they're in sports and we got kids and we're busy, you know, so it's not like our paths cross that much, but like, I did not, I had no idea the freedom that was going to come from that amends. I mean, I really had no idea, you know, just able to go through, you know, the, the, the supermarket and just not be looking over my shoulder, which I didn't even realize that I was doing. It was just such a, such a powerful event. So, you know, these steps one through nine, really what they do is get me ready for steps 10, 11, and 12, which I think are my instructions for every day for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I, we call them AA's relapse prevention plan, steps 10, 11, and 12. You know, you go to treatment, they're going to send you off with a relapse prevention plan. They're going to tell you, uh, here's your trigger list, avoid these triggers and, uh, you know, avoid people, placing and things and don't get in a relationship. They got all the, they got their relapse prevention plan, but I think AA has a relapse prevention plan because, you know, many times I've got to talk to people who had, you know, a year sober, 
five years sober, 10 years sober, and they go back out, many, many times, I always ask the same questions. You know, how often were you calling your sponsor with a 10-step? What did your prayer meditation look like? You know, upon awakening, when you retire at night, how was the, how'd that stuff look? And how many new guys were you working with? Without fail, without fail, the answer is no, 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 and none. I mean, and, you know, the guys that I'm drawn to, the people that I'm drawn to in Alcoholics Anonymous are the people that are really, really doing that 10th, 11th, and 12th step all day, every day, and living in this stuff. I went, um, I'm ashamed to say, but I went uh, probably 12 years sober, uh, basically working a first step and a 12 step. I always sponsor guys. My first sponsor drilled that home and just always drilled that home. So I was always carrying a message to new guys. Um, but I went a good 10, 12 years without writing an inventory. And I really had kind of forgotten or didn't pay much attention to the, the rest of the program. And, uh, you know, when the pandemic happened and, uh, and we got on, and we got on, uh, on the computer, um, things really changed for me. Um, I know that's not everybody's experience and I know people are really against internet AA or whatever, you know, I'm just sharing my experience up here. Um, we, we were able to, well, first Reese and I, we were just like going on our local little neighborhood AA meetings on zoom, you know, or whatever. And, uh, kind of sucked, you know, it was just like, I don't know, it's kind of boring, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but then we got the idea one night, we're like, yo, it's the internet, we can go anywhere, you know. <laughs> it sounds so obvious now, but at the time it was like. <laughs> so we used to do that at night, you know, we'd be like, just Google like, or just, you know, search like, um, I don't know, San Francisco AA, you know, and just hop on a meeting. Then the thought came to me, I'm a big uh, speaker CD listener. You know, I love listening to speaker talks. I listen to them all the time. I'm a truck driver, so I'm always listening to talks. I listen to one almost probably every day. And through these years of listening to all these talks of all these speakers, I kind of had this little, like, in my head, little, like, bucket list of groups that I wanted to visit throughout the country, you know? So I'm like, yo, these groups are probably on the Internet, too, right now, because we're all on the Internet, you know? So we went and checked one of them out. Didn't, we didn't like it, whatever. And then, um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, we, we checked out uh, Primary Purpose Group Dallas, okay? And this was the beginning. Then, then I heard about Primary Purpose Group Austin, Texas. And these two groups uh, eventually led to a whole bunch of other ones. But these two groups literally just absolutely changed both Risa and my uh, recovery. Um, I had never heard people discussing the book the way these groups were breaking down this book. And the Austin meeting uh, back then when everything was online, you know, 2020, I mean, they were getting like four or five, 600 people every, every uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whenever it was. And I was just blown away. People from all, big book nerds like us uh, <laughs> from all over the world were getting on there hammering home about this one sentence over and over. And I'm like, man, so, so what I was doing was, and I didn't really realize I was doing this, is like I had... I would sit down with a guy and we would read line by line from the title page all the way through, okay? And I, had, I would have him highlight what I had highlighted and I would have him write down the same notes in the margin that I had written down. And I was able to talk about that stuff really clearly. But there was so much of our program that I wasn't even paying any attention to. I was just so asleep to so much stuff that was in there. So by studying the book in this way, uh, boy, I was just really able to, to come to life. And we started a, a book study like this in, in, in Rochester, was online, but in Rochester, PBG Webster. And um, 
it's been cool. It's been an experience. It's like, um, you know, we were all on, we were all on the internet and then, uh, we started getting some people from all over and we started building these relationships with these people all over, you know? And then it was time to open up. People were going back in person and we were like pretty conflicted about that. We're like, man, how are we going to have our meeting without so-and-so without these people without, you know what I mean? So we decided just to stay on, to stay on the internet. And, you know, now my, my, my recovery, guys I 10-step with, let me say it that way, guys I 10-step with is just really blown up, man. And like, you know, I have lots of friends in Rochester, New York, AA, of course, you know, that's where I'm from. And that's, you know, that's where I sponsor a lot of guys and all that stuff. But my, my support, you know, my spiritual guys are, are all over. And it's so cool. Like, you know, my first, my, for me, my first call for a 10-step is always to my sponsor. He's very busy and often doesn't answer. No problem at all. I call Ryan in West Virginia, you know, Eric in California, whatever it is. I'm calling in Texas, you know. And I got people with, with, you know, that are knowledgeable about our program and are able to point out in me, hey, it looks like you're, looks like you're scared here, man. It looks like there's some resentment going on that you're not, you're not clear on. Or I see some self-pity here, you know, whatever it is. And I absolutely love that stuff, man. I'm, I'm all about it. And the biggest change, the biggest change, I never did a written nightly inventory um, until, until 2020. I started doing it, um, following the directions exactly from, from our 11th step, from the book. And um, it has changed my life, absolutely changed my life. Um, you know, the first time I sat down and did it, I remember I sat there and it took me like 45 minutes. And I'm like, and I ain't going to do this every night. This is crazy. I'm exhausted. First of all, I get up real early for work. Like, and I was waiting till bedtime to do this. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this. Then someone pointed out to me, it says when we retire at night, I read that as when I go to bed at night, but when we retire, what does that really mean? Retire really means done working when I'm done working for the day. So dinner's over, put the dishes away. TV goes on or whatever. I'm retiring for the night. I pull out my nightly inventory. And, you know, the next night maybe took a half hour and now I whip them out, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. Um, and at the bottom of the sheet that I use, it's just the questions directly from the book, but at this bottom, it, it asks for corrective measures. And I take that as um, spiritual corrective measures. Um, so it's often uh, the few, there's a few things that are often on there, you know, more conscious contact, you know, uh, meditation, you know, longer meditation or something like that, uh, more AA phone calls, reach out to, I write specific names of guys I maybe haven't heard of or haven't talked to in a little while. I'm big on the phone, the phone, I'm big. I love talking to alcoholics on the phone. I talk to at least, at least three a day. I try to talk to six, um, but at least three alcoholics every day on the phone, not just guys I sponsor, but other friends in AA. I love talking recovery. So I'm all about it. But anyways, in the morning, um, you know, it says upon awakening, uh, there's a line there, uh, after I'm asking God to direct my thinking, it says we consider our plans for the day. I pull out my nightly inventory and I actually take a picture of it, to be honest. I take a picture of it and I pull out the picture in the morning and it shows my corrective measures from the night before. And I consider that, I look at that as my plans for the day, my spiritual plans or goals for the day. And by doing that over and over and over, uh, I've just been able to see tremendous growth. I mean, I'm more conscious contact. I always said, I always said, and maybe it is, I don't know. I always said my, my sobriety is my mo most important thing in my life. And, uh, you know, today I think really conscious contact with God is really the most important thing in my life, truly. Because I think without that conscious contact with God, 
Um, I will. I will eventually unravel. I will get sick again. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I've I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, but I'm not special. It doesn't mean I. If I if I lit up on these spiritual disciplines, the, the, you know, I get sick again. And we see it happen all the time. Guys with lots of time, you know, get sick again. And um, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't want that to happen. So and, and you know. The 12th step is really where my passion is, absolutely. Um, you know, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. And for years, if you would have asked me, what does that mean, what, carry what message, I, I wouldn't, I would have given you some, you know, half-baked answer, you know, oh, 12 steps or something like that. But it says it right there, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. That's the message I'm trying to carry. And, and hopefully... You know, every time I share, every time I speak in a meeting, every time I talk on the phone, hopefully that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give hope. I'm trying to give hope that we can recover from this thing. You know, we don't have to stay sick. We can recover from this hopeless state of mind and body. That doesn't mean I'm cured. That doesn't mean I don't have alcoholism anymore. I certainly do. If I go out and drink tonight, I'm in trouble and everyone around me is in trouble pretty much. Um, but, but I have recovered from that hopeless place. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not thinking about drinking anymore. I'm placed in a position that I'm safe, you know, and, and, and God has made that possible. God and the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous have made that possible. And that's why, you know, I can say, I can sit up here and tell you how grateful I am for AA, and I am, but really it's indescribable. It's really, there's not words that can describe the true gratitude that I feel in my soul, in my heart for Alcoholics Anonymous. It is beyond words, uh, genuinely. I mean that. So that's all I got for tonight. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Love you all. Okay, incredible stuff. Again, my name's Brian. I'm still an alcoholic. Um, first and foremost, I want to thank Ryan for coming out here tonight, delivering an incredible message of hope and recovery with our group. Uh, a couple quick announcements, and we'll wrap it up here again. The Food and the 